Welcome, welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast. Explore the mind of MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Now, up to bat, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Boone, and today on the program, I'm joined by a fellow Trojan. We were briefly teammates in Minnesota for like what five minutes? Yeah, uh, he's a ten-year, like he's a ten-year major league veteran. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Jock Jones to the program. Jock, thanks for coming on. Booney, thanks for having me, buddy. All right, we're both SC guys, different yep. times. Yep. You played with Uncle Aaron here. I for did. What did you play? One year with him? I think. Yeah, I think Aaron was a junior when um, you were a freshman. Yeah, I was a freshman. Yeah. Okay. Yep. We all have our stories, and, and uh, you know, I ended up going to SC, but it, I had a weird – that wasn't my first choice. They weren't even on my radar, Same and way. I ended up backdooring it last minute uh, going there. I was going to U of A, and uh, I got there, and, the, and they told me, well, Brett, we're going to give your scholarship to somebody else. I got pissed off. Yeah. Gillespie came in, and the next thing you know, I'm a Trojan, <laughs> it's, and it's the best thing I did. Give me your story. I know you were a, uh, you were a draft pick out of high school. Okay, this was a this was the best story, right? So it, my whole SE career was was a story, a movie, right? But so I was a, a senior in high school. One of my coaches, uh, my volunteer coaches, was tied into SE. Don't ask me how, but he was tied into SE, right? So he kept telling those guys to come down to see me, come down to see me. So they came to see me. Uh, they wanted me as a pitcher slash. I played first base in high school, so they wanted me to be a pitcher slash whatever. In the summer, one of their guys signed. I ended up getting a full ride, which is unheard of at one at SC and two in college baseball, right? But in between time, I got recruited by San Diego State and SC. But I wanted to go like to Texas at the time or Pepperdine because one of my high school teammates got uh, recruited to Pepperdine, was going to go there, but he ended up signing with the Braves in the 10th round, right? Pepperdine, Texas, they wanted nothing to do with me. So, cool. Get to SC, have a good uh, uh, fall, winter, whatever you call it. Ended up being the starting left fielder. First series was against Pepperdine. First at bat, I'm hitting ninth. Bases loaded. Grand slam over the scoreboard in Pepperdine. <laughs> so, I wanted to just, like, give the whole thing around the bases, but I played it cool. But first hit. First at bat, grand slam, college baseball, welcome. And you were an All-American your freshman year. Freshman uh, All-American. Coach Gillespie. Yes. Awesome guy. He coached me, coached Aaron, coached you. Yes. Uh, he, he recently passed away. Yes. But but a big, you know, we, we talk about college baseball, and I, I had a son that went through it, and parents always talk about, oh, I want, you know, is this guy a good coach for my son? I said, you don't realize that, we as baseball players, we find our own way. We're not going to go no. to a great coach. No. I want to send my son to a great man that's going to teach him to be a man. And in the yes. meantime, he's going to he's going to he's going to work on his craft so much that he's going to find out what works for him and whether he can go to the next level, whether he can't. Coach Gillespie, for me, I, I had a unique uh, relationship with him. I, yeah. I was that guy and, and <laughs> I was that guy that just, you know, I, I, I didn't form to the rules and, and Gillespie would be the booty. 
hey man we got we got to go to the gym yeah. and i said hey coach and this is way before you know later in my career i became a a gym fanatic yeah but in those days when i was 18 years old you know and i'm looking at my grandpa and and you know his last year was 1960 and he was always harping on me. Hey, you got to stay loose. You can't get and lift those heavy weights. So that was my MO. And, and I would tell coach Gillespie, I said, listen, coach, I'm a baseball player. I don't go to the gym. And he, he kind of looked at me like, who is this guy? Oh, yeah. And he said, well, the rules are here, Brett. Uh, uh, I hate to inform you that you must go to the gym. Yep. So of course, what did I do? I didn't go. Yep. Come back and and uh, he he'd be like, "All right, I got the list of everybody, you know, for the week and all yep. your to do list." And we got this <laughs> Brett Boone guy. He didn't go to the gym. What's the problem? I said, "Hey, coach, I'm a baseball player and I don't go to the gym. I don't lift weights." He says, "Well, what you do is put your track shoes on and start running." Yeah. I'd run around. You know, I'd run. And he'd come out after a while, kind of felt bad for me. He goes, all right, that's enough. He goes, just go to the gym next time. The next time, uh, I go to the gym this time. I talk to the guy, you know, the trainer that runs the program. And, and yeah. uh, he says, are you going to lift any weights? I said, no. He said, why are you here? I said, coach said I had to go to the gym. That was the rules. I didn't lift. Same thing. Next time, come back. Hey, uh, Brett, what are you doing not going? You, you didn't work out. I said, I went to the gym like you told me. He said, you know what you're supposed to do. Start running. I started running again. We did that about three times. And eventually he came out on the field. He looked at me running and he goes, you know what? And, and I won't say what he said, but he says, yeah. screw, screw it. Just play good. And yeah. that's got me up. But that was my relationship with Gillespie. It was a huge part of my life. Yep. My development from, from kid to young man. And uh, I thank him for it. You got a Gillespie story for me? Yeah, dude. Booney, I'm telling you, our, our career at SC was parallel, man, because uh, so again, as a freshman, uh, they wanted me to pitch and play the field, right? So if I'm supposed to be with the pitchers, I'm with the fielders. If I'm supposed to be with the fielders, I'm with the pitchers. So he's just screaming across the field, hey, Jones, get over here. Hey, Jones, get over there. Do this, do that, do this, right? So I, by the middle of the season, and you know, coming from high school, nobody really yelled at us because we were really good. <laughs> you know right. what I'm saying? So so I, I, this guy's screaming at me like every day. So by the middle of the season, uh, I, I was hitting about 350. And of course I was playing and we were playing San Diego. San Diego State was coming up to play us at SC who we never beat in the middle of the season because they smash us, right? So I'm like, listen, coach, I go up to his office and say, listen, man, I don't know what you want from me. I don't know what you expect from me. Like I, I'm, I'm doing everything I can do to, to you know, get on the field, play. Uh, I'm going to class. I'm, I'm doing all the things that Booney didn't do, right? I'm not class, but going to the weight room and all that. So I said, man, I, I want to transfer, right? So he goes, no, he, he's got this look on his face. And, you know, he pushes his glasses up on his face and he sits back. Snoopy. And he goes, yes. Yeah. So he goes, he goes, well, this is kind of surprising, right, to hear you say that. And he goes, well, I'm not going to stop you from transferring, but let me tell you this. If if I didn't care for you or care about you, I wouldn't say anything to you. I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't get on you. I wouldn't push you. I wouldn't, you know, spend my time on you, you know, to help you get better because I see something in you. He goes, but ultimately it's your choice. So uh, we ended up, I played the game, went home. 
that day and thought about everything he said in our conversation and said, you know what? Like either man up or run away from the situation. So I, I manned up, of course, because I stayed there for three. But I like our relationship changed after that. And he didn't stop yelling at me because that's who he is, right? He didn't he didn't stop pushing me. But I said, you know what? Like if you run from this and you're gonna run from something else, you're gonna run from something else, like meet it head on. And I just kind of embraced it. Like whenever he did what he did, it was just like whatever. And I'm the butt of the jokes and Jinx the butt of the jokes and Gabe and all the so I started seeing like he did it to everybody and not just me. Right. So like he he that that was when I became a man or started to become a man. And it was it was just all because of him and he'd followed me through my uh, college career, of course, and all the way through the pros, we were constantly in contact. Yeah, he was an, he was an awesome man. Uh, yeah. And you mentioned that the, the full scholarship, different ball game today uh, yeah. in the uh, in the college world. And, yeah. and recently I had an ex-teammate of mine, you know, you played against him for years, Willie Bloomquist, who's the head yep. coach at Arizona yep. State. Yeah. And he was talking to me about it, you know, off camera, he was telling me, Booney, this is more, more than I bargained for. I think mm -hmm. Willie really loves it. And uh, like we had talked about how Gillespie was to us, his first and foremost, he says, all his energy is based on, I want to be, I want to be a positive impact on these kids' lives. Because yes. the majority of those guys that come through here, they're not going to the big leagues. They're not going to have careers. But I want to help them as men as much as I can. And I, and I was really glad to hear that because that's what it's all about. Yeah. What do you see different in the college game now? I mean, players are different. It's just like the big leagues. Players are different than we were. Uh, the younger generation is different. There's not full scholarships anymore. You can't even – you're not even allowed to give them. Um, no. Obviously, on the pro side with the draft – the dynamic is so different uh, from a from a money standpoint. Right. Nowadays, nowadays you're getting if you're a number one pick, you're getting millions and millions of dollars. Right. Back when I signed, if you were a number one pick, you had hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right. So that dynamic changes. You're not going to get yeah. a first rounder to go to college anymore. But what no. do you see in the college game now? I I, I think it, it's kind of. So I, I tell people about Coach Gillespie, right? He, I mean, you can't say enough about him, but. Booney, and even back then, I mean, the scholarship situation is the same. It's the same number, 11.7, right? But, like, dude, he was just magical at the way he chopped those things up and the way he found players and the way he put them together and formed teams, and, and they went out and won 40 games a year, right? But but college baseball, man, is, is like, <clears throat> it's all about, to me, and it's college sports in general, It's and now with the NIL thing, it's all about where I can get the money from, Yep. Right, what the facilities look like. Never mind what the school is all about. What the facilities look like. How many different variations of uniforms do they have? You know what I'm saying? And am it's I all about it's all about branding. That's it, man. That's yeah. it. <laughs> That's it. Yep. The NIL, the, the NILs too, and and I, I often thought about this. I, I you know, because we went to SC, I'm sure you went to a lot of football games. That's kind of what we did on the weekend. Yeah. Yep. And I'd often think I was there in the time of Rodney Pete, he, uh, Todd Marinovich. Yep. Uh, you know, there's been so many great football players that go through SC. And I used yep. to go to the Coliseum and there'd be 80,000 people there. Yep. And they're coming for, for the stars on the field. Reggie Bush yep. and, and Matt Leinert. Yep. That's what makes that team go. They won a national championship. And I'm thinking... 
And these guys got to live on like a $400 stipend for the month. <laughs> yeah. And that's where the, it. that's where the corruption around college yes. comes in. Yeah. And I thought, I thought, you know, I'd love to see college players not necessarily have to get rich, but, but if you're a star and you're bringing millions and millions yeah, of dollars into the facility, yeah, make it so it's, it's a li- little yeah. easier to, yeah. to go out and have a nice dinner. Yeah, uh, if, if you're Reggie Bush, it's like, uh, hey, you shouldn't have to be living on this $400 stipend with the money. And they always say, well, he's got a scholarship. Well, he's bringing uh, in a hell of a lot more money than a scholarship. scholarship. So the NILs, I didn't know how it was going to go because I'm sitting there thinking, okay, well, the quarterback is killing it. Yep. But the center that hikes him the ball isn't killing it. Is that something in the clubhouse that's going to be a problem? Uh, it, I mean, potentially it could be, but you can say that about the NFL. The quarterback's killing it. The wide receiver's killing it. Yeah. The left tackle's not. Yeah. I mean, he's killing it, but, you know, this guy's getting $40 million and he's only getting eight. Right. You know what I'm saying? No, no that's I mean, true. It's, that's just the facts of life. I mean, you got to deal with it. It's not – now it's free game. It's whatever you can get or whatever yeah, someone's yeah. willing to, to give to you. And if you don't fall under that, then it's tough. Uh, we'll move on from college in, in a second. Yeah. Uh, but I, I wanted to talk about that. And I saw some names that popped out to me. You played on the 1996 Olympic team, went to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I got an opportunity and uh, I forget what it was. 80, 80, 89. Yeah. We had a, uh, it wasn't an Olympic year. It was uh, it was world world games or something. Yeah. And it wasn't important enough that all the, the top juniors in the country, when it's an Olympic year, the juniors stick around, they don't sign, they play to wear the red, white, and blue. If it's not an Olympic year, usually the best juniors, they sign and they go about their career. So it was one of those years. So all the juniors signed. So it was basically a bunch of freshmen and sophomore. It was a really cool experience. You go to Millington, Tennessee, you stay in the dorms, you travel around the country. They put you in single file lines. You put your red, white, and blue, and they they march you around. I got to go to Cuba. Yeah, that was really interesting. I remember pulling into Cuba and we had some we had some good guys. Jeremy Burnett's was on my team. <laughs> I think Fernando Vina was a teammate okay. of mine. Anyway, there was a few guys, but we pull into Cuba and we're kind of, you know, we're kind of cocky. We just finished beating the crap out of, you know, Mexico or something. Yeah. We get to Cuba. We're taking BP at this old stadium and you hear about the Cuban national team and how great they are. We're thinking we're yeah. going we're going to kill these guys. Yeah. I'll tell you what, Jock, it was like men playing with children. They <laughs> beat us like a drum. I don't think Fidel even showed up cuz he said no. USA USA sucks. Yeah. Why even come out and watch the game? Anyway, uh Gloss who we recently had on on the program, he was a nice. teammate of yours. Kotze, yep. AJ yep. Hinch. Yep. You kind of had a star studded. Tell me how that came about. Okay. Uh, and, and just your experience. I know you ended up winning a bronze medal. Okay. Again, like I told you, and we're going to go back to, well, we're, we're still in college because we were the last college team, which I'm most proud about. Right. So freshman year, we go into LSU. Uh, Skip Bergman, of course, is a coach at LSU. I'm, I'm, I'm a freshman. I go in the regional with two homers. I leave with six. Okay. So we play LSU in the semifinals. We had to beat them twice to get to the college world. World Series. So anyway, they had Todd Walker and Russ Johnson and, and you know, Chad Cooley and a bunch of uh, other guys, you know, around that time. So anyway, we're in this semifinal game. First at bat, boom, I hit a two-run homer. 
go around the bases, trying to pump my team up, waving like this, you know, hands in the air, let's go, let's go. So the crowd thought I was inciting them. Come up again, uh, get 0-2 quick, 8,000 people on their feet wanting me to strike out, right? Boom, now the two-run homer, okay? That's the second one. So, like, they're still, they're, they're screaming, yelling. And th- by the way, this is the first time that I've ever been called any kind of racial names. Dude, I was getting called every name in the book, okay? Uh, the next time, I think I hit a double or something like that. And then I came up again, uh, 2 same thing. Dude, I was getting down 0-2 because I was trying to get out of the box really quick. Like, these, these people are going to kill me. 0-2. Uh, at this point, it was just a back-and-forth affair. I think we were down, like, 10-6 or something like that. Boom. Now the three-run or two-run homer. So now I got three two-run homers. I had a double. And I think I had four or five hits that game. But I know I had three homers. So anyway, uh, after the last homer, I go down the line, right field, from the first baseline to the to the behind the fence because they were all over the field, right? Everyone stands up, transfer. Now they want me to transfer to LSU, right? Dude, it was the most surreal scene ever. And by the way, Coach Gillespie had to go up in the stands because they were threatening his wife. He went up in the stands (laughs) on the third baseline during the game to protect his wife, okay? So anyway, Skip Berman turned out to be the Olympic coach. Right. So who does he invite to the trials? Me, of course, right? So I, I go through 200 guys in uh, my first, second summer, uh, which was my sophomore year. Go through 200 guys, play on the summer team. We're in Millington, like you stated. Uh, run through that. Uh, the next year, we go through 200 more. But they pretty much knew who was going to be on the team. So anyway, that's how I made the team. Like I told you, my the, my college career was kind of like a movie, dude. Um, the only part that I I I guess I liked it at the time because I, I didn't know much about traveling, but I wish I would have got to experience going to another country to play. But sweet, dude, we're on our own soil in Atlanta. Uh, we trained two years to win the gold medal. We uh, ran it. We, we whipped Japan 10-run rule uh, two nights before the medal round starts. And then the same pitcher comes back and shoves it <laughs> up our behind. And I think we started Chris Benson because we had that's when Billy Koch and Chris Chris Benson were the guys in college. So we started Chris Benson because he had a great fastball, uh, but they didn't care about that, dude. They they molested us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they did, they did, dude. And I, I probably shouldn't use that word, but they did. And and so, but it was just a great experience here. And all those guys you just named: Troy Gloss, Matthew Lee Croy, uh, uh, Mark Kotze. Um, uh, Warren Morris, uh, uh, Jason, uh, what was Jason's life? I can't think of Jason's life. Anyway, he was our shortstop. Uh, uh, Troy Gloss, um, Chris Benson, Billy Koch, Braden Looper. Uh, we had Jim Parquet, Seth Greisinger. It was just, it's, I mean, we just had, we just had guys everywhere on that team. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. After that, uh, your second round pick, 
uh, yeah. the Minnesota Twins, and, yeah. and you go off in your career. You make your debut in in 1999, and yep. uh, we didn't start playing against each other really till I came over to the American League again. I yep. was over and I was in Atlanta, San Diego. I came back, yep. and we became friends, and yep. uh, we had a cool rivalry. You know, I, yeah. I think the Twins and the Mariners, we come and yeah. you, man, when we were rolling in the early 2000s, yeah. we're like, no, we're going to Minnesota. They play us tough. And uh, <laughs> it was a lot of fun with you and Tori and, and yeah. Shannon Stewart. Um, people ask me all the time about uh, Big Poppy Ortiz. Yeah. I said, you should have seen him when he was with the Twins. I said, the world didn't know about him, but yes. we knew about him. I remember yes. having conversations with my, with my 2000, you know, early 2000 Mariners teams, like yep. this Ortiz guy, they don't even let him play. Yeah. He's a, he's a beast. Yeah. Uh, talk about your first uh, skipper was Tom, Tom Kelly yes. ended up going on to garden hire. Yep. Um, and, and tell me about, you know, we all have that guy uh, when we get to the big leagues for the first time, yep. well, at least I did that, that took me under their wing. I was this brash uh, hair on fire kid with a chip on his shoulder. <laughs> and, that. you know, I had Jay Buner take me under his wing. It was, it yeah. was tough love now. Yeah. I mean, you know, he, he'd beat me up and then, and then give me a hug, but yeah. nevertheless, I appreciate the lessons that I was taught. Did you have anybody like that when you first got Man, into the big I, I, I had, I had three guys. Well, we, and I say, I, but we had three guys, right? I actually learned how to play in the big leagues from pitchers. So, Eddie Gordado Eddie, and Latroy La Hawkins. Okay. Uh, and Matt Lawton, who, who <laughs> again, so Matt gets hit in the eye. Uh, I think Dennis Reyes hit, hits him in the eye. I get called up because my friend gets hit in the eye. I stayed in the big leagues for almost 10 years after that. Right. He, and he took me into his home in Minnesota while he was rehabbing. And, and we were kind of competing at the time when he got healthy for time. But anyway, uh, just watching Eddie and Latroy, and, and at the time, Latroy was a starter. And Latroy would, you know, he'd get through the lineup one time, and then after that, you know, sometimes he'd get beat up, sometimes he But just watching, and Eddie, Eddie would get beat up, and, and just watching them come to the locker room after the game, take all their stuff off, don't throw anything, don't yell, don't cuss, don't fuss, like nothing ever happened, right? And I'm like, how in the heck are these guys so calm and this just happened? So I started paying attention to that and, and talking to them and learning the game and, and, and just picking their brain like, dude, you guys don't like you're so stoic when things happen, whether it be good or bad. And they're like, dude, we're going to keep getting ran out there and we can't dwell on, you know, we, we got to concentrate on the next pitch, the next play, whatever the case may be. So I learned the game <laughs> from two pitchers and, and they were awesome with it. Like you said, it was tough love. It wasn't always uh, peaches and cream, but. Uh, just learning from those three guys was great. Yeah. And once again, different time than it is now for us when we were coming to the big leagues, uh, I got yeah. there, a you know, I'm a little bit older than you, so I got there yeah. a little earlier, but, yeah. but it, it was different than it is now. Eddie Gordado uh, ended up being a teammate of mine in, in Seattle. And mm -hmm. I could imagine how Eddie was with you at the beginning. Oh, how man. many, how many dresses did you have to wear? Cause oh, you know, man. that's, that's all yeah. once, once yeah. Eddie's done, yeah. You know, as you mentioned, Eddie's a pro and yep. he behaves like a pro, yep. but he has a side to him. He likes oh. to have a lot of fun. So when business is over, it's all. Oh, it's a sick side, too, dude. It's a sick it side. It really is. I watched him just in the brief time we were teammates. And I'm like, I'm like, Eddie, 
I, I, I'm having a rough time right now. I don't have enough energy to do all the stuff you oh, yeah. do and the hijinks. He doesn't care, dude. He's he's always on ten. Oh, and that laugh he just horse laughs you, and it's just he's the he's a he's a really good person, man. But he 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 don't care who you are. He's gonna get you. <laughs> it's awesome. You had some great years in Minnesota. Uh, hit 300 twice in 02 yep. and 03, yep. 27 homers, 24, 23, 27. That was with the Cubs when you yep. when you left. A uh, little bit about the Twins and, and, and those teams. I always like to get the perspective of somebody that played there, you know, okay. full-time, the Metrodome. Yeah. When I was an opponent, I'd love coming in there. For some reason, the baggy yeah. – uh, I, I love the guy that would tell me not to smoke in the Metrodome. And then I tell him, <laughs> F you, I'm going to smoke. <laughs> I did that one time, Jock. He, he, he told me, I, I'm, I'm sitting around. You know, I don't know who this guy is, but I yeah. hear him. He's famous in Minnesota. Yeah, Bob no, smoking in the Metrodome. <laughs> so I'm sitting around the cage one day. We're hitting BP before we play you. And I hear uh, this voice and I go, that's the no smoking guy. Yeah. So I go over, introduce myself to him, and he's laughing. <laughs> and I sit him down on the bench, and and I said, Bob, I said, I said, I'll tell you what. All I ask is is that you don't mention the fact that that I'm going to smoke in the Metrodome today, and I really don't care what you say. <laughs> well, he starts laughing, right? And you you guys didn't pick this up. You guys are getting your sprints in. You're ready to play yeah. a game. You're not paying yeah. attention. What you hear this every night? But for me, I love that. Was like the rally monkey for me. Yeah, in, in L.A., the rally monkey was the no smoking in the Metrodome. Right. So one day I'm sitting there, and and I and I have a feeling after this conversation, I said, I think he's going to mention me. So he de- he goes through his pregame routine and he goes, no, smoking in the Metrodome. And he goes, including you, Boone. He said it over the microphone. That's one of that's one of my highlights of going to Minnesota. But for, from a guy that was your home team, talk me talk to me about playing there. Tough ceiling to see. Yeah. Baggy in right field. Just take yeah. me through that on a daily basis. I loved him so, there. Yeah, dude. So as an outfielder, right, sometimes you're just helpless because the ball goes into the roof and it's, it's blended in with the, all the dust particles and stuff and the ball's being rubbed up and they just it just blends in. But we just learned to, like, don't panic. Just keep your eye on where you saw it and, and it'll reappear, right? It's, it's almost like one of those old pictures where they had where you, if you stared at it long enough, whatever the image was, it jumps out of the picture. Right. So that's how it was in the outfield. You just you couldn't panic. You had to get to the spot. Don't take your eye off the spot. And then the ball will reappear. So it, it was hilarious because Darren Ersad used to come in to, to the dome and he'd have the yellow lenses and the orange lenses and the clear lenses and the dark lenses. And it, like he was already psyched out. So it was funny watching him and it was funny watching other guys come into the dome and try to prepare for the roof, which you can, I mean, dude, if you dropped it, then like everyone understands. Right. But like we were calm and, and cool and, and the other teams weren't, and sometimes they lost it and sometimes they didn't. But the the crazy thing about the dome dude is, is two things, right? Everyone thought there was a switch when we were hitting, right. Uh, uh, with the, AC? the fans, the fans yeah, yeah. and all that crap, yeah. but we gave up the most homers. <laughs> right and, and and shoot it, it was it was crazy because like that's all you used to hear is like oh man the ball only flies when you guys hit but like 
you guys hit more homers. We didn't hit homers as a team back then because we were so young. So it was just like, I mean, it, it was that and just our team was built for speed and we used the, uh, and that, at that time it was that hard concrete, like uh, a thin carpet that we had out yeah. there. So just just being at home, man, and, and, and relaxing and knowing that all we had to do really was beat the ball into the turf and, and use our speed to, to you know, out hustle and, and outplay other teams. It was, I mean, it, it really was truly a home field advantage. Do you know? Do you know Ortiz was going to be the player that he was? I I did, man, because um, actually when he first got traded to us from the Mariners, right? Right. He he, uh, we were roommates in A ball, and and that year he went from A ball to the big leagues, and he had thirty homers through the minor leagues. He had big big power the other way, right? I had power the other way, so every day we challenged each other, like how many balls can we hit out the other way. And so it, it was just fun watching him and learning from him as well. And his English was terrible back then. <laughs> it was really bad. But just watching him, and, and he was actually a pretty good first baseman that he didn't really get credit for. He was pretty smooth around the bat. So um, just watching him ascend to the big league dude and, and knowing that he could hit for average as well as power, like what he did – didn't surprise me. It just surprised me that he didn't. That he wasn't afforded a chance to do it in Minnesota. And and a year uh, before he got non-tendered, he hit like two seventy or eighty with twenty homers and eighty RBIs, and missed like almost two months because he broke his hand. Yeah, he was amazing. Ended up ends up being one of, if not the, uh, definitely one of the best. Well, one of the best DHs of all time, that's obvious. Yeah. But one yeah. of the best postseason players yeah. in the history of this game. You think about postseason, you think about Smoltzy, and you think yeah. about uh, Mariano on the pitching side. Yeah. When I think of the hitting side, I think of David Ortiz, probably because yeah. how many times he went. I mean, it yeah. helps when you get to go there a lot. Oh, yeah, for sure. But, man, some of, the, some of those postseasons that he had were just, like, unbelievable. Like, the rest of our dreams, pretty unbelievable. Dude, and he'd, he'd get up at the – right time and in 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 the situations where he needed to be up he was there and not only was he there he produced like it it was like when he didn't it was almost like tiger woods missing the putt at the height of his career it was like yeah what happened (laughs) bigger the moment yeah oh yeah oh yeah dude it was it it was fun to watch uh oh six and oh seven you went to chicago and you finished up your career uh detroit and florida yeah Uh, did you like your time in chicago you had first year oh six you you had yeah, a pretty I, damn good year, all star you know, caliber. Booty, let me tell you something, man. I, I had a I had two really good years in Chicago, minus the power the second year. But I'm telling you, dude, I was getting booed every day <laughs> at home in Chicago. Every day I was getting booed in Chicago, dude. And I, I like I couldn't figure it out because I'm like, I show up to play every day, <laughs> I play hard, uh, I'm putting up, you know, pretty good numbers, but like I'm getting booed. So it, it wasn't an enjoyable experience because of like all that crap that was going on. And, and again, even in Chicago, I was getting uh, some, I got some racist mail. I got a bunch of hate mail and I was like, dude, what is going on around here? Like I, I wasn't in trouble. I wasn't a, a bad seed. I was a really good teammate and I put up decent numbers, but, but you know, it, it wasn't, the baseball was enjoyable because I enjoyed my teammates, but 
it I really didn't enjoy my time in Chicago. How about how about in the city? How about the day games? I always thought about I, that. I, I loved it, dude. Did you like I'm it? A, I'm a morning person. I'm up even today. I'm up at like four thirty in the morning. My my body alarm wakes me up, and if I could, you know, like spring training, like go out and play, get home at five or six, have a good meal get to sleep, get back, do it again. And Juan Pierre was there my first year, and he was great for me too because he was a morning person. And we, we'd try to race to get to the ballpark first. So, like, he'd be there by, like, 7 o'clock, dude. And I, I, I think, you know, I'm getting there 7, 15, 7. Like, I'm going to be – like, he's there already. I already got a lather going. So, it, it was – he kind of helped me a lot through that situation. So, you know, I, I always thank Juan Pierre for that as well. I want to shift a little bit to today's game. Yeah. Um, the new rules, everybody's talking about it. We're all getting asked about it. Uh, you know, from my perspective, I remember when I first heard they're going to have a pitch clock and, and this two times you can disengage a throw. First thing in my mind was, well, the, the real elite base dealers are really going to take advantage of this. And the second yeah. thing was, you know, as a lot of us do. I'm, I'm kind of a purist and it's like, don't quit changing the game, leave it yeah. what it is, you know? Yeah. Now, as it's unfolding, I see the positives, yeah. uh, the swiftness of the game being on the, this side of it and, and kind of doing the media thing uh, mm -hmm. makes it a lot easier for me because the games are mm -hmm. two hours and 20 minutes. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and from our hitters perspective, I look at it and I think really as hitters, we could make the adjustment, just get back in the box. But from a pitcher's perspective, crunch time, you know, yeah, getting in getting in sync with your catcher in a big situation right. uh right. just your overall thoughts you know almost three weeks into the big league season again my thoughts are right with yours dude get in the box get ready to hit you know what i'm saying let's go but like you said there's going to be situations where the pitcher and the catcher aren't on the same page and they're going to shake off and they're going to you know hey i want this and no i want that and, okay go through the sign but the time doesn't allow for that so I think maybe eventually it'll be some, you know, something for that. But as of right now, it seems to be going. And I, like I told people, it'll after the first month or two, it won't even be an issue. It'll just be something that's a part of the game. I, I initially thought of of guys that are kind of set in their ways, you know. Right. And and I kind of beat this to death, but I think of they're the obvious two guys. I think of a Clayton Kershaw. I think of a Justin Verlander. Yeah, they've been pitching in the big leagues for 20 years. They're going to be first yeah. ballot Hall of Famer guys. Yeah. Um, and to all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, say, well, now, you know, let's just say you were a slow worker. I'm not saying either one of them works slow, but you've done what you've done in your career, staying within the rules. But maybe you take you're a little more deliberate with your time. All of a sudden they're telling you you've got to change your way 20 years <laughs> in. I thought about that and I thought that's really not fair. Yeah. The little nuances I'm starting to see. I was watching a game last night, and uh, I believe it was Burns with the Milwaukee Brewers, and he it was kind of playing a cat and mouse with with the hitter because you the hitter has to get into the box and engage with the pitcher at the yeah. eight second mark. Eight second. Yeah. So he was getting it. He would let them engage at the eight second mark, and he would hold the ball until one second. Yeah. And it would kind of, you know, because if if a guy holds a ball on us, you know, yeah. for those of you listening to the Boone podcast right now, <laughs> if they hold the ball on us, what do we do? Time out. And you yeah. step out of the box. Well, now yeah. as a hitter, you're at a disadvantage because yeah. you can't call time out. Yeah. So I think they're going to have to tweak some things. But from what I'm hearing from, from managers, fans, uh, players, 
so far so good. And you know what it comes down to? Do the fans love it? Yeah. Do they want to do, do they embrace everything that's going on? That's kind of what makes the world go round is right. do the fans show up and do they embrace it? I think that's going to But but I have to say I'm a I'm a little surprised that I'm open to it now versus when I first heard the news. Well, dude, of course, because you, you're seeing the benefits of it, right? And you're saying, oh, maybe, like anything, dude, there's going to, it's going to take some getting used to, but like, it's like, okay, like, dude, get in the box. <laughs> like, yeah. But 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 to your point too, um, I know Scherzer was kind of tinkering around with it in spring training, but as a pitcher too, you, you got habits, you got routines, you got, you know what I'm saying? And you start trying to mess with the hitter you're also messing with your timing Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that's that's something pitchers have to consider and think about as well so um but but like i said in in about another month or two it won't be a thing and guys will get back into their own routine and trying to figure things out and it it just i mean the games will have they'll they'll speed like shoot they even push back beer sales to the like eighth or ninth inning or something like that so now they don't care if you drink a drive you gotta buy the beer man you gotta (laughs) buy the beer yeah, dude. Um, yeah, because you know, as an infielder uh, throughout my career, and and you get to know your your staff, you know, whatever the staff is that year. I know, I know the look that one of my pitchers gives me at second base is, "Hey, I need a I need a breather here." So that's right. when I call time and I run in from second base. We have a chat. Right. Usually, it's not about what's going on in the game. No. Might be where we're going after the game, yeah. their plans. Uh, but it's something to just give them a breather. You can't do that anymore. Uh, I don't know. I see, but I but I see some positive things as a defensive player. Man, that swift working fast. Yeah, man. that keeps us in the game. You know, because yeah. we can get guys that are real meticulous and take their time. And, yeah. and if they're if they're off that day, man, that could be a long day on defense. Oh yeah, dude. And 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 there again, you're thinking about now. You start thinking about man, I, I need to get this game needs to be over because I want to go here and I want to do this and I want to be yeah. there. And and oh, what I, you know thinking about my bat and man like i want to do this i'm looking for that and then all of a sudden the balls hit to you right and and you're not your mind not on catching that balls on something else so to keep everybody in the game and keep the game going i mean i i I don't see anything wrong with it uh dusty baker yeah i I recently had him on the podcast yeah um he just reaffirmed everything I've always believed. Uh, Dusty yeah. was a guy you played for him. You, yeah. you, you have a different relationship with Dusty yeah. than, than I do. But I'll tell you this. What, playing against him for years and years, he played against my dad for years and years. Obviously, I'm yeah. a little kid. I didn't meet Dusty Baker. Yeah. But being a player that played against him for so long, he had something about him that made you feel like he was your buddy. Yeah, I remember when when I come into Candlestick when I was a young player. He's he's coaching the the Giants, and he'd yell at me, "Booney, what's going on?" I, hey, Dusty, yeah, that's my buddy Dusty. You ever <laughs> met him? Nope. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. he made me feel that way. I think he makes yeah. everybody feel that way. I've yeah. never heard a negative word about Dusty Baker from from a team uh, from a guy that played for him or or somebody that's played against him. Never yeah. heard. And there's only there's not too many guys out there that that we both played with. But there are a select few that you just never hear a bad word. You just yeah. never do. Dusty's yeah. one of those guys. And and I saw him this year at the at the winter meetings. And uh-huh. it was cool because he sat down and we started talking. And we just talked for an hour. Not yeah. only about baseball, but about family and yeah. his siblings growing up. And, and it just reaffirmed because you think 
yeah, it's Dusty too good to be true. I'm sick of everybody being pulling yeah. for him. And yeah. But I sat down and I walked away and I said, that it really is true. This yeah. guy is awesome. I yeah. had him on the podcast and, and it's like, it's not too good to be true. Dusty is what you think Dusty is. He's awesome. Yeah. You played for him. Just yeah. your thoughts, him winning, him winning the World Series with the Astros last year. Yeah, so um, so Dusty's like my dad, right? But my he dad, does. He sees my dad too. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> like our relationship, dude, Booney, I, we talk once a week or once every other week. And, he's and all, he's an awesome dude. Yeah, and so like he is, he's a better person than you hear about, right? He's one of those rare guys that when people talk about him, he's so much more and he's so much better than the way people explain him to you. Okay. So uh, for him to, to, to win the world series last year, like most everybody in baseball was pulling for him to win. Right. You, you, You don't get that a lot. You don't get, you know, like almost everybody to a man or a woman, right, was pulling for Dusty to win the World Series because he's been so close. He's had so many things happen to him along the way. He gets blamed for, you know, if a shortstop kicks a a grounder, it's Dusty's fault. If if he leaves a pitcher in for one pitch too long, it's Dusty's fault. If he, you know, doesn't leave a pitcher, uh, 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 takes a pitcher out too soon, or if he leaves a man too long, or, you know, whatever the case may be, it's always Dusty's fault. Right, he can't do this. He does not do that. He's terrible with a bullpen. Blah 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 blah. But to have everything fall in place like it did last year, dude, and for him to win, it was like I felt like I was on the team with him, right? And and to talk to him after, uh, talk to him during. Uh, I actually went out to see him towards the end of the summer last year before the playoffs started. Um, it, it like my phone was going crazy after the last out was made in the World Series because everyone knows how I feel about Dusty and how Dusty feels about me. And so, like, my phone was just going crazy with with people just sending me congratulations like I did something and, and telling me to tell him. And so, it, it like, dude, it was just, it was the best. Like, I, I felt euphoria just sitting on the couch watching it. I'll tell you, when they first made that announcement, and this is right after the the Astros scandal, you know, with the banging the truck. I have a different take on that. I'm not as hard on the Astros as most people. I said, you know, everybody's – the Astros are the villains. I said, let me let let you in on the short of this. When one team's doing it, there's a lot more teams doing it than you think. So all this nonsense about the Astros – anyway. Yes. It doesn't matter. That's what the fans' perception was. When they hired Dusty Baker – I just sat back in my chair. I said, that's the most brilliant move of the offseason because it's yes. Dusty. And yes. you can't hate the Astros now because nobody hates Dusty. No. I mean, here's the guy's coming out with his gloves on and his and his wristbands and pulling yeah. it off, man. He, he's he's got that it factor. It's like, it's Dusty. He could do anything. Listen, he, they couldn't have, like you just said, they couldn't have picked the more perfect person to put into that situation. Without a doubt. Right. No, there's no other manager. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. There's, there's no other manager in baseball that they could put in that situation, and and who who was a shield for the team and the organization, yep. like Dusty. Right. He's not. He's not confrontational. Yes, he's got his own views, but like he tries to smooth everything over and he tries to make everything nice. And yep. so, 
you couldn't have picked a better person to put in the middle of that storm. Well, Jock Jones, it's been a pleasure, man. Thanks for coming on. Great career. Uh, 277 career. Ended up hitting 165 homers, over 600 RBIs. Yeah. Uh, how's your golf game? Uh, right now, it's terrible, Booney. <laughs> I haven't played in a month. I got to play. I got a tourney <laughs> at the beginning of next month. I got, I got to go at least hit a couple balls. Man, yeah. I appreciate I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Stay in touch. I will. And uh, for all you out there watching the Booth Podcast, thanks for listening. See you next time.